Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. Uh, we are providing you yet another update and uh, <laughs> probably been two, three weeks since we dropped the last episode. So I think about two. Okay. Uh, I'm not doing the greatest at keeping up on this, so I apologize. But uh, we are, I think we are on a, a little bit of break ish. It's, we're ish, still on a rotation, yeah. but we finally got through three South uh, floors for one week, and then we did eight South for another week. So I think I have a total of six weeks on eight South now of my, um, I think I've done nine total weeks of floors at this point. (laughs) Um, I know I have another two coming up and then I have one, another one week. So I have like three more weeks before the, the academic year ends of floors. So not out of the woods on floors. And I still have a full four weeks of critical care. And then I have another two weeks of night shift somewhere in there. So I have, uh, three, four, five, um, nine weeks of inpatient floor schedule out of the whatever three months remaining, four months remaining of our, it's four months. I'm pretty sure it's four months since like we ended in like June or end of June. In any case, we are chugging along. Uh, we, so this week we are on radiology, but, um, we will probably try to talk a little bit about I guess how the last two weeks have gone and then we can update you on radiology next week. <laughs> yeah. Well, radiology is, I don't think it's going to be too much different. No. It's been very relaxed, very easy. It's very reminiscent of the radiology I had, uh, ish, uh, in fourth year medical school. It's good to learn. It's good. You learn, uh, new things and new habits, um, different ways to approach things. And of course you have a little bit more clinical experience behind you. And so you're trying to, Think about what you've been seeing and how you should be interpreting and thinking about studies that you order. Uh, so I definitely have been trying to, because I, I think in fourth year, you're like, you've seen a little bit, but you still don't know when to order which studies and then how to look at um, lo- what are you looking for in, in every study. So you learn a little bit in fourth year medical school, and then this year I'm trying to learn a lot more, but it's also reminiscent in the sense that it's not... Um, labor intensive it's like three hours four hours a day and then i'm done uh which is very different than the floors which i guess let's go let's go to the floors uh three south a uh i had a pretty decent team i would say uh uh i had a couple senior two second year seniors uh and then a transitional year and uh, honestly like they were actually pretty nice nobody was trying to make the intern work really hard and we had a really good medical student so all in all i think everything it was actually a pretty good floor i just had a a few patients who were relatively sick um and then it's it's three south bay so it's an acute floor so everyone's sick to some degree but 
I didn't have anything like on 8South where it's like, these are critically ill. You need to follow labs. You need to follow, I mean, you need to follow labs anyway, but you're, you're following things very closely. Whereas on 3South A, it's a little bit slower paced. You're working towards discharge. Um, I think there's like different emphasis is done on each floor. And which is interesting because I was listening to a few um, different podcasts out there uh, on some of my downtime. And one of the things that they kind of pointed to in one podcast was that that medicine has changed an awful lot uh, in this person's particular opinion. And they thought that maybe in the past, like people would be admitted for just about everything. And now we are sending people home and treating people in an outpatient like setting for things that they might have spent, you know, a week in the hospital for, a few days in the hospital for. And so the patients that we are keeping in the hospital are a lot sicker than the patients that we would have kept years ago. Like years ago it would have been, oh, uh, you know, maybe a, a gastritis or um, something like pretty benign colitis or something like that like we would have kept people for a little bit longer but now we have severe heart failures we have copd exacerbations we have community these are all things that probably existed obviously years ago but that's essentially what we're packing into the hospital now is the people who are very sick and so i guess the point was is that most hospitals uh you could expect their their acute floors to be basically step downs because everyone is sick everyone you, you shouldn't, if you're not actively sick and possibility of dying, you shouldn't be in the hospital anymore. I think that's relatively true. Um, yeah, even with surgery, because you were seeing that in your joint replacements when you before you left. Oh, yeah. They were going to an outpatient where, as opposed to staying in the hospital for several days. Yeah. They were getting it done in the surgery center and being discharged the same day. Yeah, they might spend like 23 hours in the hospital, essentially, as uh, try they try to keep it as outpatient as possible. Yeah, and that used to be a three-day ordeal. You'd get your joint surgery and then two, on one day, and day post-op day one and two, you'd recover and then be discharged. And of course, during that time, you're doing PT, OT, and all that fun stuff. But uh, we are doing things differently now every every time we progress a little bit in medicine we try to hope, you know try to advance the recovery process and a lot of people do better at home recovering but which is i think it's a general term everyone does better at home but uh, some people's home situation isn't as advantageous as others and um especially when you're dealing with maybe a, a sicker population or a poor uh, more socially economically challenged population um it's difficult and you i mean there's there's um there's a kind of a mixed blessing of being in this hospital system uh so i think that you can be in certain hospital systems where the people you treat are in a maybe more wealthy or higher social economic class uh, and then you do see the all you, you know, rich people you know and middle class people who have the same diseases and illnesses that poor people have um they just might have different resources. means resources and stuff like that and so i'm not complaining one way or another it, it's a kind of a mixed blessing in the sense that i am seeing sicker pathologies i'm seeing patients who are sick and we have to try to find ways to make things work for them as best we can we try to hit the you know the 
guideline-directed medical therapies. We try to hit the best practices as best as we can. But of course, we, as like we talked about in the past, sometimes you you have to make adaptations based off the patient's means and abilities. And of course, like partnering with the patient and talking to them about like what's actually possible. And then we, uh, we also get the other side of the spectrum of um, like really odd things that uh, are not really medicine related, but we still deal with in the hospital, like these weird social things where um, family members will come, yeah, come drop off their parent the elderly parent, and then say, we can't keep taking care of him. Please find a place for him. And so now, like, not only are we taking care of whatever medical thing that brought the person to the hospital, but we're also now trying to figure out, well, where do we send this patient when we're done? And that's also a unique challenge as well. Um, And it's not, I'll be honest, that's not exactly what I really wanted to go into medicine for. And placement and housing uh, coordination is not exactly something I really enjoy. And I I really do sincerely wish that families would work together to figure out how to take care of your parents. Uh, And obviously, like, that's a a very generalized statement. Um, Obviously, there's different variations of level of care and ability and whatnot. And so I'm not trying to make a, a, a straight across the board statement that, well, it's your parents. Therefore, no matter how debilitated or how much intensive care they need, you should do it. Uh, obviously, that's not true for everybody. Everyone's situation is going to be unique and different. But I think as a broad stroke, I would like the families to be more involved in some cases uh, or working and being into There's definitely been some kind of joys on the floor as well, because there, there are families who are very involved and very invested. And I really do enjoy seeing that uh, as much as it can be tough on the other side of the spectrum. So it's like as much as I don't want to be the housing coordinator for a bunch of patients. Uh, I also, it can be challenging to have a very attentive family, which, I mean, this is, again, the a small violin of pity, but, like, you go in that room and there's, like, two or three family members, you're talking to the patient, you do your exam, you still have, like, seven other patients to see that morning and uh, maybe six other patients to see and like they want to talk to you, they want to chat, they want to, they have questions, and uh, it's just a cha- it poses the challenge of like you need to be able to time manage and you know, get through their questions quickly, concise, concisely, but also give them the impression that you are spending time with them, that you are hearing them, and that they are <laughs> uh, they are a part of the treatment, they are a part of. The process that everyone's on the same page and the other i mean some of these patients uh, are very intensive they they read the the daily labs like just as much as i'm getting the labs they get it on their phones and they look at it and they check it and they have questions um and so it's you know it's always good when you're prepared and you come into those rooms and you're not just like what lab <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean and, and to be fair like truthfully there has been like one or two times where you know they were asking about a particular lab and i'm just like look when i came up here the labs hadn't resulted. When I had finished, when I was doing my chart, pre-charting, when I was looking over this patient's pre, you know, record, I didn't see the labs had resulted this morning. So I was going to go back and check on them before I did my actual team rounds. 
Um, but let me pull up my phone and look at it because I, I, I can look it up, up my phone. So obviously, if they're seeing new labs from the day, then it must have resulted. It doesn't hurt to pull it up on your phone and take a look at it. Um, generally speaking, like hopefully you've seen this patient like one or two days or uh, you have a general idea of what you're doing with them. So the, the lab shouldn't shock you too much. Uh, they might tell you like, oh, you need to give some electrolytes. You might need to get, replenish the potassium or magnesium or whatever. Um, is the renal function doing better or worse? So those, those sort of questions that you might have. But generally speaking, you kind of have an idea of how things are going uh, with with the labs are definitely more helpful than without, but in any case, so that's, um, that was a lot of three South a, um, again, trying to restart home medications, keep patients stable and plan and work towards discharges. Um, I think my biggest frustration, uh, on three South was, uh, and I think I vocalized this. I'm not sure if I vocalized it with you. Um, I vocalized it as, I feel like I'm back on customer service and as opposed to being a doctor. Um, there was definitely a few patients that had complaints about uh, just how things were going, like how, how frequently the nurses could come to their room and deal with an issue that they had. Uh, and then like basically those kind of complaints where it's like I have little to no control over like. Uh, whether you got a warm meal, like whether the cafeteria sent up a hot meal to you, well, that sucks, and I wouldn't want to have a cold meal. I, I can't do anything about that as a resident. and Or like, oh, it took the, the nurse a little extra time to get your medications. You had, a pain, you had pain. You ordered, you asked your nurse for pain medications. It took her longer than you wanted it to take. And... They, you know, well, that sucks, and I, I don't want you to be in pain. I also understand that these nurses are covering, like, six patients. And so, like, I know some of the other patients they're covering are sicker uh, or <laughs> more or more critically ill. So it's like I'm not trying to say, like, we are okay ignoring a patient. But at the same time, it's just like I don't know how to help. Uh, I want to help you medically. I want to be your doctor. But, like, I understand part of the healing process is also feeling like you're being well taken care of. And then this is the issue of this is the hospital. It runs a particular way. We try our best, but you know, it's not a perfect system and we don't have probably as, as much nurses as we probably the nurses would even like to have. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about the nursing staffing and whatnot to, to make judgments on there. But in any case, we, that, that was just kind of like a lot of like, I just want to, help you medically what's how are we doing from yesterday and it's like here is a list of my complaints about how i feel like the hospital uh, staff has not catered to what i needed and it's like okay i'm sorry i'm sorry that's happened and i you know it's well with your well within your rights to have complained to patient relations i hope they can find some kind of resolution for you but let's 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 pull this back to why you're here uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you actually voiced that to me, but I think you did. Oh, and here's a yawn. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you did uh, say that hospitals are not meant to be comfortable. It's not a hotel stay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's how you put it. It's not a hotel stay. We want you to leave and go home. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I know that kind of comes across as callous, and it's like, 
We want people to be comfortable. We want people to get rest. And I will fully agree that the hospital beds are uncomfortable. And <laughs> the fact that the bed alarms go off or the, the monitors go off at crazy hours. And I mean, there was even like a kind of a, a patient that we had at one point where uh, I think he was upset and he was being driven crazy by the beeps on his monitor that he took like one. I think he took his telemetry off and just chucked it out of the room and we mentioned it to we were consulting psych i think regarding this patient and psych was just like yeah i would probably do the same thing too i don't think that's really unreasonable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like have you seen those things beep at you and they beep at like really weird intervals it'd be one thing if it was just constantly beeping it but it's another thing when it's like it beeps for like five minutes and then it's it's quiet for like a minute and a half and just when you're feeling like okay i can finally get some rest it starts beeping again and it's like it's just like a weird alarm that just in, it random intervals goes off and like yeah i get it yeah it would be annoying uh, i don't know what else to say besides that's just how <laughs> uh, different hospitals have different systems and maybe there there's some room for improvement there but um yeah so that was i mean three self um Eight self, I had a patient die, uh, at least one patient die on me. Um, and there was some definitely lessons learned on that one. And that was kind of tough because I basically I started day one, you get seven brand new patients. So you're, you're trying your best and you, you feel like at the end of the day, you've got a decent handle on some things and you're trying to figure out, you, have your, you still have your attendings that are watching over you and your seniors that are aware of all your patients. And then I rolled in on Tuesday, and as I'm walking in, I'm hearing a code being called for one of my patients. So that that's less than fun. Um, you get up to the, the floor, you, all you can think, you're just running through your mind of what, what did I do yesterday? What was going on overnight? Why are they coding? Because like, if all my patients on the floor, that wasn't the one I was expecting to code. Um, so definitely disappointing definitely some lessons learned and then you kind of you kind of debrief I, I debrief with a few of my other residents to try to try to figure out like maybe what might have happened um i don't know like where, where we could do better what we can i don't know i'm not saying we made any mistakes per se but i'm just saying like it, you, you have these thoughts like when when someone passes that you didn't expect they weren't they weren't the sickest person when you saw them the day before. And you start asking those questions of like, where, where, where could we have altered the course? Where, what could we have done differently? Uh, and I don't know if we have a clear answer for any of that. And I don't even know if there, if there were opportunities, would those opportunities have changed the outcome? Um, those are all, I think, questions we ask whenever we have a, an outcome that we would rather have not had. Uh, and obviously we don't prefer patients to die, um, which I don't. I'll stand by that statement, but <laughs> but nobody gets out of this world alive. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's a good point. Uh, I was like, I don't. How do I transition that to? <laughs> there are some patients who it would be probably kinder that we let them go to comfort care and pass than continuing in the tra trying to prolong life when 
I don't know. It's, it's more of a controversial topic. I'm not, I'm not advocating for euthanasia in any sense. That's something I don't particularly agree with. Uh, I understand that there's different state laws and different power to hear doctors who would have different opinions, and that's not really what I'm into right now or talk, no, trying to talk about. But it's like... It's like the 93-year-old woman who's had several strokes, and you... you ha- the family doesn't want to let them go. She, they can't eat because if they eat, they're going to aspirate. And so you're, they're demented. They're not able to, they're like very altered. They're, like, they're having the severe pneumonia. Like you're just, and then like they're on day four of no eating. So you got to do an NG tube, which, you know, in the short term, an NG tube is not the biggest you know, not the biggest deal. But this then, is a theoretical patient. Yeah, this is, of course, a theoretical patient. But like, <laughs> but, I think, I, but I think if you spend any time on the floor, you've seen this theoretical patient. Yes. Most people have seen this patient. And it's, you know, you have a family that cares about their loved one, their grandmother, their mom, whatever it might be. But like you're looking at it and going, they don't have, you know, they came from a nurse, like a memory care facility. They don't have quite a lot of quality of life and it doesn't mean that no life is the life aren't isn't precious in any sort of way but it's like they are obviously not doing well they're not going to do well they they've had this stroke that's caused them to not be able to eat and so now their mentation is not going to get better and so now you either have to um put a peg tube in them. You can do an NG tube for a while, but you know, if they're dysphagic, they're not actually going to swallow ever again. Eventually you're going to have to do a peg tube. Um, and you know, that's, that's not exactly comfortable. And, or you have patients who just, they don't eat because they just don't want, they don't like, they just don't eat. Um, and then, you know, you're trying to figure out how to get them nutrients (laughs) and, you're just force feeding them and so you just especially when they're like they're on BiPAP they're on all these things like you're really working hard to try to keep them going and you can tell that clinically they're just not they're not getting better clinically they're getting uh, slightly worse every day and you you want to you, you try to talk to the family every day about like this is what we see is happening we don't think that she's getting much better we're, you know, she's going to pass. We, I think, and there's a few patients on eight South. I think are my attending and, my, and uh, the co-residents. I think essentially told the family within the next 24 to 48 hours, we expect that this person to pass. Like they're not doing well. We expect them to continue to get worse, and eventually they will code. And you know, at that point, the family made them DNR, and it's like, okay, that's great, but they're going to pass. So why not let them pass comfortably and put them on comfort care as opposed to continue to like hit them with fluids and uh, meropenem and <laughs> vancomycin and, and poking them, doing labs and like putting them on BiPAP, all these things. Like we're, you know, we're throwing the kitchen sink at them while we know that they're going to code within the next 24 to 48 hours. We have them on DNR, so we're not even going to do any CPR or intubation or anything like that. So, like, maybe we should just go to the comfort measures. But the family doesn't feel comfortable with that, and so we have to, you know, honor the patient's the family's wishes and the patient's wishes. And anyway, it becomes different. Um, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, 
that's not all of course all we have in medicine i i, I definitely have gotten i think is it kind of a joke that on eight south and even in the icu to some extent that there's always like a push to work on getting patients on dnrs and uh comfort care and whatnot because i i think as my program director said, like in the ICU, that one third of the patients are going to die no matter what you do. One third of the patients are going to get better, better no matter what you do. And then one third of the patients are the ones that you can actually do something with. That like your decisions matter about where they end up. Okay, which which bucket do they end up? And the ones that continue to survive are the ones that will die. Um, and I always feel like with the ICU and on eight south especially. There's a lot of kind of push to try to figure out who's not doing well and get those DNRs, get those comfort cares. Uh, and I think that's done out of a lot of compassion because I think a lot of times we want we want people not to suffer. And especially if we're seeing it and goes, oh my goodness, this is not, this is not going well. They're probably never going to leave this hospital. I, I think we would rather them not suffer and then pass. And the family have a chance to say goodbye as opposed to fight, fight, fight and all the while feeling badly. Because like the difference, I guess, and I'm not really, I'm not a professional and this is me grasping at straws, but there's a difference between when someone is on comfort care and how they, uh, you know, we will give them opiates. We give them, we don't want to, we're not knocking them out, but we're making them comfort. Yeah, comfortable. We're making them not gasping for air, feeling oxygen um, starved and whatnot. You, you, you can do things to make them feel better. That's not treating them. And that you know, as they deteriorate into uh, cardiac arrest or whatever, they're not in pain. They're not uncomfortable. And that's essentially what comfort care is about. Whereas if you're treating somebody you can't be as aggressive on like, especially like let's say you're treating someone respiratory failure and they're feeling oxygen starvation. And so their worker breathing is up. You want to make, if you want to make them comfortable, like what you would do would depress the like opiates would depress the respiratory status. So it would, the body is trying to respond. The body is trying to say, I'm oxygen starved. So I need to increase the respiratory rate. I need to blow off CO2. I need to get more oxygen into my blood. And so your body is working harder. And then if you go, oh, I want to make them comfortable while I'm treating them, that's kind of counterintuitive. Because if you want to make them comfortable while you're treating them, you give them something that slows down their breathing or relaxes them. But like by relaxing them, you could be pushing them to cardiac arrest. Um, per se, like you could be suppressing the respiratory drive, which could then drive up the CO2, which then, um, you know, the lack of oxygen to the heart and other organs causes further organ failure and whatnot. Like, and like you can make the argument like, well, then isn't that comfort care is pushing someone to the, <laughs> and I think the answer is essentially like a little bit of yes. Like we're not pushing them over the edge, but we're, allowing nature to take its course whereas if you are trying to treat someone you can't be as aggressive and um, you can't be doing things that's going to push them to that to that towards death so um i don't know it's a, it's a hard thing like you want to make your patients feel better and sometimes 
feeling better and treating them are not hand in hand. Um, I don't know. That's a lot of rambling, and I hope that makes any sense. But <laughs> it is something I, I kind of still struggle with because I always want to feel like there's hope for people. Like people will get better and they'll go home. Um, but there are obviously patients who are not going to get better and are probably not going to go home despite our, what we would like and what our best efforts are. And I think we have to be realistic about outcomes and what we are capable of doing as doctors. Because, um, again, the the very demented, um, that's probably not a politically correct word either, but the very... Um, non-coherent 90-something-year-old person who's uh, not even really aware, like, they're not alert and oriented times one, they are <laughs> A&O times zero, they, um, you're not, that, that's how they came into the hospital, that's before they had, they got sick, that's before they fell or whatever, they, you're not going to improve their baseline past what they were before, at, in the best of situations. And oftentimes, if you're looking at those situations, you're going, this whatever they whatever they got sick with is going to is going to win this battle this time. Then you, it's a tough conversation to have, and it's something I'm trying to work on. And that's again rambling here. And Karen is of course falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he says, of course. Um, we've been two weeks without my my mom, so we've been relying on Karen for everything. <laughs> And I'm a little tired. I'm sorry. I'm part of the reason why we haven't had a podcast in the last couple weeks because I keep falling asleep on Eric at night. After the kids go to sleep, I just crash. <laughs> but overall, Eat South has been a challenge this last week. Um, Eric had three or four short call shifts. Three on three, Eat South. Three on Eat South. So it was three days where he most definitely worked till seven at night. I wasn't going to get off any earlier than seven. Yeah, there was. I a, I, I didn't leave go home until like eight eight thirty. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's definitely been, um, it was a, a challenge after having having help <laughs> and then having no help for all day. Um, but this is a good reprieve. Oh no, it is what it is. We knew that was going to happen, and we could have taken longer maternity or paternity leave if, yeah, we, if we needed to, but. We, yeah, hindsight's going to be interesting on this one. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. But um, overall, um, I think we're kind of excited for for this reprieve. And then your next after radiology is? Uh, uh, I do continuity clinic, and then I think I do cards for two weeks, which is not going to be as relaxing as radiology. No, but um, I think it interests you. And so yeah. that will be fun. And then I will do nights, nights. for two weeks. <laughs> and then I think we were on vacation the, yeah. the week after. So. Yeah, we scheduled a vacation for the week after nights, which I think was a good thing because it yeah. takes a while to get your body back. Yeah. And then I think I go to critical care. Yeah. And then I think... Or no. No, I think I, do, I think I do infectious disease. That's right. And then I do two weeks of floors and then I go... Continuity clinic, then I do ICU, continuity clinic, and then I think it's one week of floors. Yes. And, and then, then the academic year resets. And so I don't know what it's going to be like after that. Uh, <laughs> but I think in year two, um, there is less floor time and more um, 
Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah, there's more electives. Thank you. So as, as you progress, <laughs> you actually get less floor unless you opt for it. So there's uh, in your second year, I think you get like two weeks less. I think I, I'm like I'll do twelve weeks of floors. So I think in year two I'll do ten, and I think it's a little bit less in year three. Um, for some reason, I think it's like eight or something like that. Uh, and so there are, of course, people who do, uh, you have more options on the electives and you can choose to do independent practice. Uh, I think that's usually an option for a lot of third years. And so uh, many third years will choose to do independent practice in the hospital. And so they'll be given basically a floor to run themselves. Uh, well, it, it's a little, there's still a little guidance. There will be an attending that kind of will oversee things, but like it's still your team and your floor, your patients to work with. So that's like some people can opt for that. And then there's people who opt for like independent practice in the clinic. And the, the benefit of that, a lot of people actually do that. More people do that actually than, so that there's people, there's third years I know of this year that are not going into outpatient like there's one that's going into palliative care and she's opting for the, the independent practice, even though people don't particularly like clinic, they see it as I work four days a week. I get a three day weekend for four weeks. Yeah. That's nice. Whereas like if you do floors, you get, you work for like four weeks and you get one day off a week. So, <laughs> and you you work until seven, like seven to seven, or six thirty to seven. So it's like, it's it's a long four weeks, uh, and theoretically you're not on like a, a high acuity floor. But even still, uh, it's doesn't sound all that desirable to me. Uh, some people have some people do and they like it. I mean, obviously, if that's what you want to be as a hospitalist, then that's probably not the worst thing. But it's always funny, like independent practice, and you do four weeks straight of hospital medicine before you move on to your next rotation and like no hospitalist is doing four weeks on i mean they probably do there's probably a few that will but then they take like some vacation like or they're picking up ships or something like that so it's it's always it always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit that's the that's a thing so um anywho uh <laughs> we, we were a little ways off from year three and there's always changes to the program so like this year, we're during this next year, we're going to implement tracks. And so we have like a, an outpatient track, an inpatient track, and then a fellowship track. And so people can opt for different things. And there's, I think there's going to be different features on each track about, you know, whether you have a little bit more outpatient, if you want the outpatient track, if there's going to be some more exposure to the actual specialties, if you want a fellowship, and then, um, then of course the the inpatient track is just more probably more floor time to be completely honest. But <laughs> I think generally like we still have to meet ACGME rules on in certain things. So like there's always going to be a certain number of clinical weeks you have to have. There's always going to be a certain number of uh, you know specialties, electives, and floor time that you have to have to meet ACGME requirements. But there's always a, there's a little bit of extra room here and there. So I think that's where the, the programs are going to try to play with to try to, if you want to be a fellow and you want to go in the fellowship, then try to find a way to get you there um, by, 
I don't know, either increasing your exposure to the to the fellowship you want to go into or uh, maybe giving you the opportunity to expand in your knowledge. I think third year is a little bit different because third year, I, I think second year is what matters probably the most as far as exposure goes. Like if you want to go into cardiology, getting more cardiology exposure in second year is probably very advantageous. Third year, by the time basically you're three to six months into third year, you've already matched um, into your fellowship. And so spending (laughs) all your electives, like if I was, you know, I want to do cardiology, doing all my electives in cardiology uh, might be a bit of a mistake in my third year because, you know, then you're going to do all your electives in cardiology, then you're going to go into fellowship and do more cardiology. Uh, Why not? do some nephrology or oncology things that you don't you're not ever going to get to do again because once you go into cardiology you're going to be a cardiologist but like if you know a little bit about the nephron you know a little bit about um cancer oncology critical care it might make you a little bit better at being a cardiologist like things that could help you understand other aspects of the of the system of the systems that might make you a better cardiologist. But anyway, again, Karen is falling asleep over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see what else Uh, we did. We're doing the different tracks. We did eight South. We did three South from radiology, which I think we kind of just breezed over. It's pretty straightforward. We look at x-rays. The the attending that we have is very good. And, uh, for my my Mormon followers, he's very Mormon. Uh, he's he's nice. He doesn't like push. He doesn't like tell us. But like his office is decorated, and you cannot mistake. And um, I think the only thing I, I thought was missing is I didn't see a picture of them at the temple. But otherwise, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Book of Mormon was there. The large family pictures are there. Pictures of his son on a mission. What it looks like. Uh, so yeah. it's funny because since we have so many kids. Eric gets asked by people if, if we are Mormon, and no, <laughs> but um, obviously the Mormons don't ask if we're Mormon because they know they know they know who's, <laughs> they know who's Mormon in the area. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the, the rotation's going well, and it, there, there's like me and another I am person. There's like a podiatrist. There's a uh, EM resident and a sur- general surgery resident all there. And it is interesting because like, all the specialties have, we all have gripes about the others. I think the EM resident, uh, the, sorry, the surgery resident was talking about how, oh, uh, when I'm doing one of my 24s and covering all these patients, the, and there's a rapid, the, the medicine resident doesn't even show up. And it's like, we show up to all rapids. I mean, I, when I was on nights, we showed up to all the rapids. Um, so I don't know what you're talking about, but like that was his gripe. Was that the, and it, maybe it was like the attending doctor who was supposed to be covering that floor, that patient overnight doesn't show up. And I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I know the, the internal medicine rapid response resident typically shows up to all rapids. But that was my experience when I was on nights. I don't know. Maybe someone's doing something differently. Or maybe there are multiple rapids at a time. Yeah, and there's always the possibility. Uh, um, when we go to the ED, we don't always hear 
when you're in the ED, I, I don't think the same intercom goes overhead. So it's... Uh, no, it wouldn't make sense too because you get your... You have the... You need to know when the ambulance is coming in and what all that is. And that comes over the intercom, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the call-outs for uh, ambulances coming in and codes coming in and whatnot. And I don't... I. I don't remember. I had to be in the ED again for more than like five minutes to hear if a rapid gets heard overhead. But in either case, that was kind of interesting. Like, oh, this surgery surgeon's got a gripe about us. But like, and then I, I today made a joke to the e, ER resident about how you guys they all wait until like the end of the shift to admit all their patients because uh, like it's inevitably like how how the road we talked about this but like how their shifts kind of work is that like they pick they come in and you know the the previous shift is has seen all these patients and they're trying to get rid of their patients as a two-hour overlap so in that two hour the previous team is trying to finish off all their patients and if there's a patient who's hanging out for something for some reason they do hand it off but usually about that point, they need to be making this decision, admit or discharge. And so like in that two-hour window at shift change, a whole bunch of admit admissions come in. And so I was giving the, the ED resident a little bit of crap because I was like, yeah, because my last day on 8 South, nine admissions pop on the list while I guess I'm on, when you're on short call, we have, we take admissions. Um so there's an admission team throughout most of the day, but they leave about four or five o'clock. And so between four and seven, uh, technically between four and six, we can take admissions. So we have an attending who's doing the admissions down in the ED. Once the admission team leaves, they look at the short call residents and go, which one of you are going to take an admission? And when nine people pop up on the list, because it's not just residents taking admissions, there's other attendings taking it as well. But like they do, they go through a rotation. Like you can imagine with nine people on that, <laughs> you can go through that rotation at once, maybe twice, three times. And so, and I think there's even a, a system now that when they know there's a resident service, let's say like, one of our attendings is on and they, they know they have three residents on with them, they'll get hit. Like, there we go. Okay, it'll be uh, Valley Hospitalist. It'll go to this other hospitalist. And now resident, 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 back to Valley. <laughs> so you could get like one, two, three. And that's how that rotation goes. And... So that that one hospitalist who's covering the residents will get three admissions because they have three residents. And I mean, because they have to still see these patients, they still have to kind of oversee all the orders and everything. So it kind of gets a little hairy, but I got my, I, I had so far lucked out on all my short calls of not getting any admissions and so last day on 8 South, I got myself my admission. So so my my day <laughs> got a little extended because I was, I was so hoping to sign out my patients and finish a few hospital courses and go home. But now I, you know, at that point, like, oh, now I have to do the, the handoff for the hospital patient. I just admitted I have to do the H&P. I have to 
hand off all my patients to the next team, hand off patients to the night team. It made it made the day very long and late. I think I got home at nine thirty on on Sunday night and less than fun. Yes. And anyhow, I don't mean to complain. It is I signed up for this, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been busy, 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 busy. Um, I think in the in the previous episode, I talked about implementing this new process of writing down goals of what I want to get done like this week, this month. And uh, I I had the foresight to know that when I went to floors, the amount of productivity I was going to be able to get done outside of floors was going to go down. So I think I have kept up with my goals, which is basically when they, when they pared down, I I think I was trying to list, uh, I was trying to do, review different studies like the Timmy studies or the um, uh, other trials and and stuff like that. And I haven't really done any of those because those take time to read and digest and write notes on. And I didn't have time. So I did mix up questions, which is what I have to do. I did my EM crit podcast. I did my this week in cardiology and I decided that that was enough for a week. So (laughs) that's what we did. Um, so we pared down and I, and I would, I would again recommend people who try to do the same, same thing. Like there are going to be tough weeks and don't try to kill yourself on tough weeks or months because you do have to get through residency as uh, many people on Reddit will say, nobody thrives in residency. You just survive. So find a way to survive. I think is my, my word of advice there. Oh, my, I'm going to gripe. I'm going to maybe spend the last five minutes like griping. <laughs> Medical students, they are totally different calibers. Like when I was first on 8 South the first few times, great medical students. Like if you had them taking one or two of your patients, like, okay, they're writing notes. They're going to do the presentations during rounds. I still need to know about them. I still need to see the patient. But like we'll we'll be fine like we'll get through it and uh i can add on the information i think i need needs to be relayed i make sure the medical student like and i had great medical students the first few times on eight south and when they wrote notes like a few modifications here and there no big deal um on three south a great medical student had a good time he was smart and he took like four patients not not just mine he took other people's patients too but you know, he'll take like one or two of my, my notes and I only had to write five others. And so that's, like, you know, great, wonderful. On 8South, my goodness. <laughs> there was one that was actually pretty good, but because one of the medical students was like completely unmotivated, like he, my first day, again, first day, I'm getting seven brand new patients. Never met them before in my life. These are step-down patients, so they're all sick in some capacity so i need to figure out all the different things and like and of course when you have like two of them are altered mental statuses and you're just like okay that could be anything that could be metabolic that could be neurologic that could be toxicology that could be um psych that could be like there's a whole host of things that go into 
someone who is altered and fat chest. There we go. I was trying to think of another one, but like it's a whole host of things that could be happening. And so now you're trying to dig into like their history and like, what could it be? And you get to do that on two patients, not to mention the other ones who are actively sick, like altered mental status is still sick, but like, you know, if they're just sitting there breathing on their own air and not totally with it, and you're you're hitting them with everything you have, like broad spectrum antibiotics, uh, running the whole bunch of labs. That that you just wait for the labs to come back most of the time. But then you have respiratory distress. You have other patients who are on BiPAP. You have all, and then like this medical student, one of the medical students, like I'm just taking one patient, and it's like you're literally just one out of a team of eighteen patients. You're taking one. And because, like, the other student, who's actually pretty good, he, I, I respect it. Like, he doesn't want to be like, I'll take four, and, you know, I'll have four, he'll have one, and the preceptor is going to see that I'm doing a great job, and he's, he's like an anchor dragging us down. Uh, like, I understand. Like, you're a team. You're a medical student. You, you're there to m- not make the other one look bad. You're supposed to kind of help each other out, do a good job, you know, whatever. So I get it. Like the the other the other medical student is not going to try to show up his partner. That's not what he's about. I respect it, but it's very frustrating. At the same time, it's like okay, so we have two medical students and they're taking literally two patients out of eighteen. You know, so instead of kind of helping the residents out a little bit, you're basically not helping. And like, oh, well, it's one no, that's better than nothing. It's like, yeah, but when when you're one of the resident or one of the medical students who can't apparently write a good note, then you're not helping. Uh, <laughs> I, I luckily didn't have, like, one of my counterparts had that, that, that medical student's note, and he, I, I was listening to him grumble the entire evening. <laughs> and he was like, oh my gosh, he copy and pasted everything. Like, he just... He didn't write anything himself. He just like copied and pasted someone else's note and put it in his and he put a little bit of this from someone else's note and put it in his. None of this is accurate or none of this is like what we're actually doing. This doesn't like, I hate how this looks. And so it was like, just, just redo it. (laughs) If it's this frustrating, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. And he just deleted the entire thing and, you know, started from scratch. And it's like, that kind of sucks. Cause you like, you, you should, think you have the help, but you don't. You think you have the help, so you just you're starting to read through it, and you're like, "Oh, I, that's a mistake. I'll make a quick edit here," or "Oh, we're doing this differently." Like that we we talked about it during rounds. He wasn't wrong, but we changed the plan during the day, so I'll, I'll just update the plan. But then you you get further and further into it, and you're just like, "That's wrong. That's wrong." And you're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm basically rewriting this entire note." So not all medical students are created equal. Uh, <laughs> My my co-residents had mentioned it before, and I was like, no, I have had great medical students, and now I get it. Um, and I'm sure I was that medical student, too. So it's tough. <laughs> that was my... That was my oh, I, I think I made it on five minutes, uh, under five minutes for that rant. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we hope you guys had a great Valentine's Day. And... That happened? That happened. Yeah. Okay. But you were you were gone all day. <laughs> was it great? Did you have a good time? The the I, we got the kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we got the kids light bright touches, and it has been the, the new favorite thing 
all week. So yeah, they've been having a pretty good time of it. Yeah. And I got cards from the kids. That was pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty special. But um, I, I've spent my last, oh, I've had these two half days off and I, I've spent them doing very exciting things <laughs> like pulling my razor out of the toilet. Mm. Um, but I couldn't reach it and I couldn't snake it out and I couldn't grab it with claws and he other things. The toilet so I had to remove the entire toilet <laughs> and then put a new wax seal down and it seems to be okay. I need the cocker on the bottom of the toilet, but you know. Oh, thing. you haven't done that yet? Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I haven't done that yet. I right. bolted it down, tightened it down, and sat on it. I was like, yep, seems like it's steady. <laughs> and then I ended, I called it the night. Oh. Because it okay. was, I basically spent like five, six hours on it. Yeah. Uh, so that was exciting. 10 out of 10 don't recommend, but kids <laughs> kids will flush things. Yeah. And so needless to say, I have a new razor. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, you could rinse it off. Like, generally, yeah. I'm, I am the kind of guy, I, I do like to reuse things. Like, hey, if it's a little broken and you can fix it and get it back to working order, hey, you saved yourself 10 bucks, you know, whatever. But, like, I think I got, I got to draw the line at razors that have touched poop. <laughs> um and pee and other whatever goes in the toilet so because uh, yeah anyway i don't want to be gross so <laughs> any grosser yes so. he's had he's had fun experiences on his uh, half days well today we went to costco that mm. was pretty good yeah, i mean it was it wasn't bad it wasn't bad we went to go get a, a wheelbarrow with the 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 very noble intention of making our kids move dirt around. Uh, <laughs> they were all excited about it. It wasn't at that Costco. Yeah. No, it was it. not the other ones either. I, w I went and looked. Oh, did online. you? I, I had to look. I didn't look at. I guess all the ones in the valley area, but oh. the, the first, the next three, the two I looked at didn't have it. So apparently, TikTok has driven the uh, demand for this thing. Oh yeah. Well, anyways. Yeah, well, we went to Costco for we did not get, but we came back with other things. So, <laughs> as you do, as you do. Anyway. Anyways, we hope you guys have a good week. We will um, give you guys another update next week. We hope. <laughs> yes, that'd be the plan. And um, yeah, we will talk to you next week. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, please do. If you haven't already, you probably have. And uh, Instagram MedFamilyMD. And any questions, of course, we're happy to answer them. You guys have a great week. Bye.